Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. It's 420, high yield and loan issuance is down, rates and yields are rising, and macro uncertainty refuses to wane. Is it all doom and gloom? or a rays of sunshine hidden behind a thin layer of market clouds. I'm Rob Schiffman, and welcome to this month's Bloomberg Intelligence Credit Chat Podcast. We are super lucky today to have some very special guests, Olivia Ramonde, David Brooke, and Rachel Butt from Bloomberg News, who do a phenomenal job covering the leverage loan, bank loan, private credit, and distressed credit markets for us. With issuance volumes down across traditional debt products. Few topics are hotter today than alternative funding options and increasing worries swirling around about a broadening distressed environment. Why don't we start off with Olivia and talk a little bit uh, more about high yield and dig really deep into what's happening. Uh, welcome, Olivia. Thank you so much for uh, participating today. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Yes, high yield is in a very interesting place right now, I think, especially when you look at it compared with other asset classes. Um, It's coming off of two back-to-back record years of issuance, and now we're in a scenario where we have a rising rate environment and a pretty tricky political backdrop with uh, the war in Ukraine and sanctions on Russia. And what we've been seeing is some weakness in those high-yield bond markets. We've been seeing issuers opt to drop the bond portions of some of their deals and shift that over to leverage loans. We've seen um, pricing widen and uh, more sweeteners being added to deals to get across the finish line. Just last week, we reported on a $2 billion plus financing led by JP Morgan on the bond side, City on the loan side. Um, They had to revamp that deal quite a few times uh, to get it over the finish line. And that did include raising the yield on the unsecured bond, dropping the secured bond, and then that sort of theme that we've been seeing of like shifting about $600 million of that debt to leverage loans. Well, we, we, we've seen, listen, high yield, the, the high yield new issuance market has gotten annihilated, right? I mean, it's down, what, close to 75% year over year. And maybe that's a function of it was overinflated in a low rate environment last year. But what's, you know, why, why are you seeing a shift into other categories? You know, what, what have investors been saying about favoring, say, the loan market over the high yield bond market now? Strategists are still favoring the loan market over the high yield bond market due to the floating rate nature of the asset class, right, as interest rates continue to rise amid the Fed's uh, monetary tightening plan, um, those interest payments on those companies who've taken out loans um, are only going to rise even higher. So that's going to be a plus for investors who are sort of looking to hedge against inflation um, and rate risk. Um, but then, you know, within the high yield market, you know, there, there, there are issues. You have the double Bs, which um, typically aren't as rate sensitive as they have been during this tightening cycle. And that's because the double B market is like very, very strong right now. It's very high quality. We had uh, a wave of downgrades in 2020 due to the pandemic. So a lot of companies that historically were were strong companies, but that just got hit with the lockdowns. And so you have that sort of 
raising not only the quality of the double B spectrum, but also the duration. So you have the higher quality end of high yield getting hit harder by interest rate rises. And then you have the lower quality um, triple C's. People are starting to get a little sour on that because um, even though the yield on that is higher and investors have been piling into that for some time, now with concerns about a recession, uh, slowing economic growth, potential stagflation, investors are starting to shy away from that riskier debt that they thought was going to be a much safer bet earlier this year. Well, what about, you know, you've written a lot about this. What about the risks of moving into levered loan markets and going into floating rate securities um, where rates are shooting up? Yeah, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. So it's great for the investors if you're going to follow the base case that you're going to scoop up more yield. Uh, it's it's secured debt, so you're higher in the capital structure in case of a default. And those uh, interest payments are going to rise as rates rise. But it's a little bit of a double-edged sword in the sense of that if inflation gets too hot, if the Fed raises rates too too quickly, too steeply, and we do have some sort of economic shock or falter in the economy, it's those um, it's those leveraged loan issuers that um, are going to still be vulnerable to um, any type of economic shock that goes on much more than if you're talking about like high um, high grade bonds or high yield bonds. So you're sort of in this little bit of a precarious situation where your investment thesis is strong as long as the economy doesn't go too far in the wrong direction and we start seeing defaults in some of those leverage loan issuers pick up because they are struggling to maintain their interest. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, we we're still seeing lev loans though down significantly year over year. Is is that because we're seeing um, a different mix in terms of how PE firms are, are are using buyout financing, and is it more of a a David issue that the private credit market is, is growing substantially? Yeah, this might be a a good tease for David and uh, and private credit because I definitely think that. Private credit has a lot more cash, a lot, not a lot more, but a lot of cash to deploy, and they are increasingly eating into deals that would have traditionally gone to the syndicated um, loan market. And Fitch Ratings just put out a report last night talking about how the increased funding within the private credit world is actually going to be good for speculative grade debt that may have historically tapped the public you know, leverage finance market, um, they're seeing more opportunities for private credit to swoop in and gain more market share on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great tease, but I'm going to tease it even a little further before we get to it. One more, because it, it seems like there's there's a variety of alternative style financing that's becoming popular. In particular, again, you've written on preferred equity. Um, that seems like that's something that's a little bit new. Can, can you talk a little bit about the demand for preferred equity in a rising rate environment? Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. Um, there is uh, increased demand for preferred equity as well as convertible notes um, from investors that I have spoken with. Um, preferred equity right now is relatively cheap um, to junk bonds, historically speaking, and they're also offering um, a higher yield. So it's more of a story about investors are still hunting for yield while we are we're still in a pretty low interest rate environment, right? Like, raise, like rates are going to continue to increase, but, you know, we're, we're still pretty low, historically speaking, which is making some bespoke um, investments like preferred equity and convertible bonds look cheap and attractive compared to high-yield bonds 
Um, I think the trick there, though, that you have to be mindful of is that when you're talking about capital structure and, and the health of these companies as the economic cycle continues, um, they're, they're lower down in the capital structure. So you, you're going to make an investment there, but if there is a default, you're going to be uh, later in line to get paid back. Gotcha. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, well, that's a good transition over to David. You know, David, I, I think this is a, a space where, you know, my world, I just don't know that much about. Like when I, when I punch up league and I look at how active new issuance markets are, I, I don't see private credit. Like how big is the private credit market? Um, how, how do I even track uh, how how trends are going? Um, you know, it, it's, I've clearly seen from your writing, it's getting big and it seems to be going bigger. Um, you know, maybe you could tell us just a little bit more about, uh, is it just rising rates that's driving that trend or is it something else? Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Um, it's a very, it's a private market, so it's very difficult to kind of track generally individual transactions. It's very difficult to track day to day, like kind of leverage issuance or high yield issuance. But certainly from sort of aggregated data, it certainly shows that the deal activity is going up and up. The market is re- a trillion in size. There's multiple data providers that have a consensus on that. So market is growing at an extraordinary pace. And I think um, as one of the key drivers about that is the kind of historic low interest rates that we've had over a decade. So a lot of pension funds and insurance companies have thrown money at private credit. Um, and private credit is very much kind of marketed in itself as senior secured loans. You're at the top of the capital structure. So when some of these riskier companies, you know, historically below the leveraged low market, these middle market companies and how you define that is also a very good question. Um, has been kind of the interest of private credit, but as the money's kind of grown into private credit, they've been pinching deals from the leveraged low market, and we've seen deals that unthinkable, you know, a billion in size was unimaginable only a few years ago, now kind of a regular phenomenon, and we're now hitting five billion with the SoftBank transaction. Um, very recently, Dato completed a 3.7 billion commitment. And where we can kind of get the figures, we managed to do a, trend, a story on SailPoint, obtaining a 1.6 billion deal, and uh, and a plan at 2.6 billion. So these are these are deals that perhaps historically may have gone to the leveraged loan market and now come into private credit. So is, is is that a trend that's likely to continue, or is it just this short-term? People are worried about rising rates. They're taking less risk, so there's all this other capital on the sideline instead of going to you know, traditional retail markets or going to these private markets. And are, are they syndicating out um, at any of these any of this exposure over time, or is it just all being held in house? It's a very interesting question. I think private credit is is here to stay. It's a trillion in size, um, as I kind of mentioned before, and the money is sticky. They're put into close-ended funds. So when we have a kind of rocky period right now, um, private credit can very much benefit because they can kind of not rely on kind of a multitude of investor base to kind of reassure that a deal can go through. So I think private credit is just here to stay in terms of someone like Blackstone, they have a BDC that's 32 billion in size. The pressure to deploy that capital uh, is enormous. They're going to have to kind of keep doing that. And on the flip side as well, you know, for the private credit funds, even as rates kind of start to rise, these are floating rate loans. So they're set to benefit on the kind of return side. So, and investors, so investors may see that benefit as well in a, 
interest rate rising environment, I think it's very much a kind of market that's here to stay. On the syndication point, a lot of these deals are very much clubbed together. And <laughs> I guess from my world, perhaps not from the wider world, there's um, um, there's a group of household names, Aries, Blackstone, Owl Rock, often kind of grouped together to kind of take down the debt. Syndication is kind of difficult to say because you do see some of the paper of these kind of unit tranches are kind of bought by BDCs. So there's a kind of maybe mini syndication or a closed secondary shop or friends and family can kind of buy into some of these unit tranches. But the the, the premise is very much that these, these deals are held by the private credit lenders. Um, um, it's a buy and hold strategy and private equity firms very much like that. How much bigger can things get? Like in in my world, you know, Twitter potentially is up for grabs, and, and you're seeing names like like um, uh, TB potentially being interested. You know, if you have a forty, fifty billion dollar transaction, like how, like what's the what? What do you think the max size of a private credit transaction can be? <laughs> That's a fascinating one. I certainly I certainly ask sources. Can we do Twitter? it feasible um i think when we've kind of reached we've hit five billion in size i i don't know how much debt a twitter transaction could require but i think this is very much beyond private credit for now maybe maybe some of the ambitious ones could get together and do something like twitter but yeah five billion is very much where the kind of market standard is set. and even then that wasn't the most like traditional unit tranche Private credit likes fast-growing companies as well. So one of the reasons software and recurring revenue loans have been so popular is they're highly levered loans, but um, they're very fast-growing companies. I don't know if I look into mechanics how fast-growing Twitter might be compared with a, a software company where digitization is becoming increasingly common amongst companies. But Private credit is already, with these software transactions, very much offering high leverage, eight times leverage, and you'll see a pick note added to that um, because a lot of the, the buyouts are 15, 20 times EBITDA. So whether it can reach Twitter levels, oh, that'd be a great story. Um, not so sure it's there yet, though. <laughs> Gotcha. And, and just, you know, for those like me who want to learn a little bit more about this market, other than just reading you on the newswire, you know, what's the best sort of spots to go on the terminal um, to find out about the latest and, and greatest in, in the private credit world? Um, there's certainly the, the Cliffwater Index, which gives you a kind of um, sense of where the market is. Um, I guess um, it's it, it's difficult to kind of at the moment the kind of development of the data side of this of this of this market is, is very very difficult because of the private nature of it but there's regular firms like Proskauer issue reports they offer they issue a default index which very interestingly still shows private credit defaults at such as around one percent um, Fitch often um, send out reports where it won just kind of very recently and I think Prequin they they provide survey results they provide um, aggregated data on fundraising and that gives us a real sense of where the market is headed um, so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of data sources out there that are able to aggregate the data and we get a sense of the trend of where the market is going um, <laughs> there's still a lot of blank spaces that I'm hoping to fill whilst I'm here at Bloomberg great awesome awesome well let's go, let's go to the next level of 
once all these loans are made, um, or we'll ask Rachel, and companies start running into trouble, um, you know, the world of distress uh, seems like it's getting bigger and bigger again. I remember when, you know, post, post the beginning of COVID, uh, our energy analyst got, got on the podcast and said like 70% of the names that he followed are distressed. Um, you know, what's happening? Um, um, you know, have you seen more activity um, in distressed debt uh, and in bankruptcy courts? What, what, what's going on in your world, Rachel? Well, uh, I think things have picked up again um, starting a couple months ago. Bankruptcy courts in the states have been busier than they have been since September last year. Um, just today, we wrote about GWG Holdings, which is a Dallas-based company that sells uh, life, life insurance bonds to retail investors. They filed for bankruptcy um, after not being able to um, sell bonds to those investors um, because of some accounting issues, um, and they're still facing this ongoing investigation from the SEC. Um, and then that would add to the five large filings we saw last week, which includes um, a seismic mapper called Ion Geophysical, a tech company called SunGuard, and this um, retirement community called Edgemere Dallas. And we haven't seen a you know a concentration of distress in industries um, compared to previous years, and all these companies have filed for uh, different reasons. So SunGuard, for example, had to rework their expensive leases, and then Ion Geophysical have um, was hurt by lower revenue because their oil and gas clients have cut budgets. So you're not seeing any any specific trends. Like, are are is there any sort of is there any sort of buzz like there was with energy a couple years ago that there are certain sectors that are going to be more prone uh, to be getting in, into trouble, or do you think it's going to be much more of uh, an idiosyncratic one-off? Um, you really need to get down and dirty to to find out um, who's stressed and who's not. There are certain industries that people are paying more attention to, um, like the healthcare industry, where there are healthcare companies that need to uh, that will see their revenue drop because of some legislative bills, and then there are also um, some people looking into companies that have seen supply chain issues um, and inflationary pressure, um, which they cannot really pass on to their customers. So. Um, those are the pressure points that people are looking at, but I would say overall there are um, names that we're paying attention to that are more idiosyncratic. Well, one of those names, I believe you broke the story on uh, Alex Jones, um, that uh, his businesses were preparing for, for bankruptcy um, before they filed. Uh, you want to walk us walk the the, the audience a little bit through about what was unusual about about that filing? Yeah, sure. I don't so this is a pretty high profile one. It doesn't have a ton of debt, but um, there were three entities that were tied to Alex Jones uh, that filed for bankruptcy in Texas on Sunday. And the plan calls for setting up a trust to settle the lawsuits brought by the families or relatives of those killed in a Sandy Hook shooting in 2012, and um, typically 
a Chapter 11 would allow businesses to keep going on while they work on a turnaround plan, and also they would pause any kind of pending civil litigation against these entities. But what's interesting here is that these entities are essentially shell companies. They don't control the content that's produced, um, but they own the intellectual property used in sites like InfoWars, um, which Alex Jones um, is running. So um, the parent company is not bankrupt. Jones himself is not bankrupt, even though they're both named as um, defendants in the ongoing defamation lawsuits. Great. And if it's possible, could, could we make some breaking news today? Like what's on your radar screen for what's next? What do you think is the, the next Alex Jones story? The next one would be, you know, there's a first day hearing tomorrow, uh, sorry, Friday morning, so we're closely watching that. But before that, we'll be looking to find out some details about um, any potential changes to the bankruptcy plan and and how this bankruptcy filing would impact um, the ongoing litigations, um, because there are two um, that are going on, one in Texas and the other in Connecticut, and um, the Texas court was supposedly going to um, select jury uh, in a few days to assess the damages that um, Jones is liable and his entities are liable for. So, so that would be something we we would um, pay attention to. Awesome. This is uh, just such cool info. It's amazing the wealth of talent and knowledge and, and, and data across across Bloomberg that exists. I, I really want to thank our phenomenal team of news colleagues for joining us. Uh, and thank you for listening to our BI Credit Chat podcast. You know, as always, if you need anything from our team, feel free to reach out directly. Or from a research standpoint, just access the credit research dashboard at BI Cred. Stay happy and healthy. Until next month, may your longs be tighter and your shorts wider. Bye-bye.